Have any of you ever worried about being canceled? You know what I mean when I say being canceled, right? We're living in the midst of cancel culture, and so there is a uh, not insignificant number of people who suddenly have their life ruined by the mob, right? Some random accusation comes forward, some, some random uh, fact from the past that is, although it was perfectly acceptable at that time, now suddenly viewed as completely unacceptable. And boom, somebody's life is ruined. There's many stories of this happening. And maybe surprisingly, it's not a new thing. It's not a new thing. And in our psalm this morning, Psalm 31, I want you to listen as David talks about being canceled. His fears, his suffering, the people lying about him. The shame. And then as we finish reading it, we will look to study it and apply it to ourselves so that we will not live in fear, but that we will learn from David, even knowing that he has been canceled, and that we will Seek to live by faith, no matter what may come. So please stand for the reading of God's word from Psalm 31. For the choir director, a psalm of David. In you, O Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be ashamed. In your righteousness, deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me quickly. Be to me a rock of strength, a stronghold to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. For your name's sake, you will lead me and guide me. You will pull me out of the net which they have secretly laid for me. For you are my strength. Into your hand, I commit my spirit. You have ransomed me, O Lord, God of truth. I hate those who regard vain idols, but I trust in the Lord. I will rejoice and be glad in your loving kindness because you have seen my affliction. You have known the troubles of my soul, and you have not given me over into the hand of the enemy. You have set my feet in a large place. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted away from grief my soul and my body also. For my life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. My strength has failed because of my iniquity and my body has wasted away. Because of all my adversaries, I have become a reproach, especially to my neighbors and an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me. I am forgotten as a dead man 
out of mind. I am like a broken vessel. For I have heard the slander of many. Terror is on every side. While they took counsel together against me, they schemed to take away my life. But as for me, I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. Deliver me from the hand of my enemies and from those who persecute me. Make your face to shine upon your servant. Save me in your loving kindness. Let me not be put to shame, O Lord, for I call upon you. Let the wicked be put to shame. Let them be silent in Sheol. Let the lying lips be mute, which speak arrogantly against the righteous with pride and contempt. How great is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you, which you have wrought for those who take refuge in you before the sons of men. You hide them in the secret place of your presence from the conspiracies of man. You keep them secretly in a shelter from the strife of tongues. Blessed be the Lord, for he has made marvelous his loving kindness to me in a besieged city. As for me, I said in my alarm, I am cut off from before your eyes. Nevertheless, you heard the voice of my supplications when I cried to you. O oh, love the Lord, all you his godly ones. The Lord preserves the faithful and fully recompenses the proud doer. Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who hope in the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Hey, before that thing gets put away, whoever puts that away, make sure I take something out of it first. Because we got to return that. So is it fair to say that David was canceled? <laughs> you read the, the, the middle of this psalm. Do you see the places where the description matches what you would say if you had been canceled. My life is spent with sorrow, verse 10. My years with sighing. My strength has failed. My body is wasted away. When you read the testimony of those who have been canceled, it pretty well matches that. I've become a reproach, especially to my neighbors an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me. Even his neighbors didn't want to be around him. Nobody wanted to be associated with him. Why? Well, because we know that canceling is contagious. Right? When you get canceled... Part of your concern is to make sure that the people around you don't get canceled. And if somebody you know gets canceled, you know you don't want to get too close to them because they can rub off on you. 
anybody who sticks up for somebody who gets canceled is liable to be canceled as well. Right? People were telling lies about him. People were slandering him. Men were conspiring against him. It's very easy for us to be a part of a mob. And mobs are the only way that somebody truly gets canceled. There can be all kinds of punishments that a court meets out, and they can have devastating consequences on your life. But until the whole world turns against you as one, there's no way to suffer to that extent. When the whole world turns against you, when nobody wants to be associated with you, when you become a reproach, even an object of dread, and then you are forgotten as a dead man, as it says in verse 12, out of mind like a broken vessel. Suddenly things look bleak. And they looked very bleak for David. He didn't know what was going to happen. Could it get worse? Well, yeah, of course, it can always get worse. Contrary to what <laughs> we may hear, you know, there is no bottom. Things can always get worse. And that's part of why David was terrified. That's part of why he was distressed. If you're at the bottom, you've got nothing to fear, and that's the whole point, right? You can say, oh, I'm, it can't get any worse than this. And then you know, bees come and start stinging you. I was wrong. It can get worse than this. We know it can always get worse. And that's part of why fear is so central to what David is talking about here in this psalm. His fear. His terror. His distress. Distress is partly caused by the fear, partly caused by what he's already suffering, right? What could come next? It's already bad. It's distress. It's precisely at that point in time, it's in, it's in the context of it being as bad as he can imagine and yet knowing it could get worse, right, that he says his trust is in God. And he declares that past, present, and future. It's across the board. My, my trust has been in you. My trust is currently in you. My trust is forever going to be in you. Verse 1, right at the beginning. In you, O Lord, I have taken refuge. I have taken refuge. 
Now, have you taken refuge in the Lord? Have you taken refuge in the Lord? Some of you in here are suffering. Suffering in certain ways. Not to my knowledge, having been canceled. Knowing then that suffering can get much worse. Have you taken refuge in the Lord? Or maybe a better way of putting it is, what have you taken refuge in? What have you taken refuge in? Because there are a lot of options for things for us to take our refuge in. What has your hope been in? What has your confidence been in? What is your assurance of safety? Let me give you some options. You could have your refuge be in your home, right? Have your refuge be your home. And maybe some of you are shallow enough to just have it be your house even. But I mean home, right? I mean home in that big sense. Like, I can come back to home, and it is a place of refuge, it is a place of safety, and that's good, that's wonderful. Your home ought to be that. You ought to be working for that to be what your home, that, that anybody who comes into your home knows this is a place of refuge. This is a place of comfort. This is a place of peace, right? These are, these are great things. but is that where you have taken refuge? Is it your family that you have taken refuge in? There are an awful lot of women who that is their hope. Their refuge is in the fact that they have sons and daughters, grandsons and granddaughters. What happens when something bad happens to your family, your children, when that is your refuge, life falls apart, right? Your, your view of reality is shattered. This was my hope. This was my refuge. It's not the way I pictured it. It's no longer the way that I was dreaming it. And there's a lot of ways you can go from there, right? When your hope is destroyed, when suddenly things aren't looking out, you know, looking the way that they were supposed to look, you can, you can become angry, you can become bitter, <clears throat> you can become fearful, you can become very irrational. You can become grasping. There's a million ways of going. One way of which is to repent of having put your faith and your hope in your family and making it your refuge and instead turning to God and making him your refuge. 
But there's a million other ways that you can go besides that. They're all wrong, just as wrong as having taken refuge in your home, in your family, right? There's only one proper response to having your world destroyed before your eyes. And if you've put your hope, if you've made your refuge, your family, your home, and you lose it, it's as good as being canceled, isn't it? There's nothing worse that can happen. Whoops. It can always get worse. How are you going to respond when the unthinkable happens? David says, In you, O Lord, I have taken refuge. In you, O Lord, I have taken refuge. What have you taken refuge in? What does it mean to take refuge? Trust, hope, reliance, right? What do you rely on? I rely on the fact that I have a good job, I have plenty of money, I have saved plenty of money, and so things are going to be fine. It'll be okay. It'll be fine. You remember Jesus speaking of the man who was sure things were going to be fine because of his wealth? Self, you have saved up many good things for yourself. Self, now relax. Everything's going to be fine. Was it fine? No. God said, you fool. This very day, your life is required of you. What have you put your refuge in? What have you put your trust in? Money cannot be your refuge. Home and family cannot be your refuge. Some people put their hope make their confidence their own strength, right? In me, O Lord, I have put my hope. My arm is strong and I am good looking. Everything will go well for me. Some of you are good looking. Some of you are strong. Is that enough? Remember a couple years ago, a friend of mine who was young, strong, had had life before him to live, and he was in a car accident. Now he is no longer strong nor good looking, and he can't work and provide for himself.
surprising, in fact, that he's even alive. And so what, what then? Now, some of you may be thinking at this point, Pastor, you're kind of depressing. Talking about all the things that can go wrong. My hope is that I will never be canceled. I just don't think that's, I don't think that's likely. It doesn't happen to that many people. Do I really have to be worrying about that right now? Do you really have to be causing everybody to be afraid of all the things that could go wrong? Things don't go wrong that often. Well, my point is not to make you fear. My point is to make you put your trust in the Lord. And part of the way that we are reminded of the necessity of putting our trust in the Lord is by looking around us and seeing all of the things that can and do go wrong. And actually, it's much more common than you realize. As a matter of fact, there's one disaster that I can guarantee for each and every one of us in this room. It is appointed unto man once to die. Death is coming. What is your refuge? What is your refuge? If your refuge is the Lord, you have nothing to fear even in death. Though the distress is great, though you don't die the way that you maybe have given some thought to, like, you know, of all the ways to die, I would rather it be like this, maybe painless in my sleep, that would be a good way to die, as opposed to drowning. I would not like to drown. I would be miserable. Can God bring you through drowning or only through death in your sleep? You see, our fears are widespread. <laughs> it's just that a lot of the time, we prefer to ignore them rather than to actually deal with them. And the reason we prefer to ignore them a lot of the time is simply because we don't have our faith in the Lord. We have our faith in maybe statistics. Statistics say it won't happen to me. Really? Your faith is in statistics. <laughs> Don't be absurd. Statistics will not save you. The moment you put your faith in statistics is the moment you become a statistic. David is in the midst of his suffering. He says, In you, O Lord, I have taken refuge. Verse 15, My times are in your hand. My times are in your hand. What does that mean? What do you kids think? What does he mean when he says, My times are in your hand? 
Any ideas? He's talking to God. My times are in your hand. Any of you want to take a guess? No. It's okay. It's a tar- it's a tough question. I knew I was I knew I was reaching hard for that one. How about how about this? It means that God has determined how much time you have. Your times are in his hand. What are your times? There's there's a lot of ways of of talking about your times, right? One way is to say the time when you are born to the time when you die, those are your times. And also, the time you are born and the time you die, those are your times. They are in God's hand. What it means is that God has decided, determined, when you will live and when you will die. A lot of the time, we'll focus on the fact that God is in control of when we die, right? God is in control of when we die, and that can be a comforting thing. If you think of Stonewall Jackson, man of faith, general who was fearless on the battlefield. Why was he fearless? Because he believed that his times were in God's hands. He knew that God had already determined when he was going to live and when he was going to die. And so there was nothing to be afraid of. But more than that, I want you to move beyond knowing that when you die is in God's hands. You think of your times being in God's hands. I want you to realize that that means when you live is in God's hands. Because some of us, seeing the growth of cancel culture, seeing the march of time as a march away from God in this nation, seeing that persecution is coming day by day closer in this nation, becoming more and more likely for us, for our children, beginning to have doubts about our refuge, begin to wish that maybe we had just been born in a different time. That we lived in a different time. Wouldn't it have been nice to live? Well, pick. When do you think it would have been nice to be alive? But God is the one that is in charge. And your times are in his hand. Now, can you take comfort in that? Knowing that he decided you were going to be alive today in this time. That's something to be thankful for. Knowing that it 
it won't just be an accident when you die. God was like off busy doing something else. Oh, whoops, so-and-so died. I wasn't planning on that. Oh, no, that's not the way God works, thankfully, and that can be a comfort, right? But it ought to be just as much a comfort to us knowing that it's not an accident that you're alive now as opposed to 50, 100, or 1,000 years ago. So when David says that he has taken refuge in the Lord and that his times are in God's hands, means that when you are alive and the kinds of things that are going on, even the kinds of things that are happening to you are in his hand. So in other words, whether you are getting persecuted or not, whether you are getting canceled or not, that is in God's hand. And that's not just in God's hand when it's not happening. That's in God's hand when it is happening. Now that is something that you can be thankful for. Why? Well, because imagine if it was an accident. Imagine if God wasn't in control of your times. Can he be your refuge? If he doesn't know, if he's not in control, if it was an accident, if you're just, if you're just a statistic, all of these things are in his hand. And this is why David re- calls out to the Lord with confidence, saying, I have put my trust in you. All my times are in your hand. That means whether I continue in suffering or whether you bring me out of it, that's in your hand. So what is your confidence in? What are you going to take refuge in? Ultimately, the choice before us is whether we are going to regard vain idols, as verse 6 says, I hate those who regard vain idols, but I trust in the Lord. Vain idols is a a little bit of a a translator's cheat. They're trying to make it a little bit clearer for you. It doesn't say idol specifically there. It says empty vanities. Empty vanities. Verse 6, I hate those who regard empty vanities but I trust in the Lord. Well, to regard empty vanities obviously means idols, right? 
But I love the fact that it just says empty vanities because our minds, at least for me, I don't know about you, but when I think idle, I think like a metal statue thingy or a wooden pole thingy. Like, I don't regard vain idols. How many of you have ever seen an idol before? Maybe in a museum, right? But how many of you have ever been tempted to regard empty vanities? Now, all of a sudden, we're talking about this making sense for us, right? Empty vanities? Well, those are all around. There are empty vanities on every street corner in our nation. It's not like we've gotten rid of idolatry, right? What is an empty vanity? Well, it's kind of a repetitive phrase, empty vanity. Vanity is meaningless, right? It's something that is vain, is pointless, maybe worthless, can't accomplish its task, its purpose, or any, any meaning. It's vain. If something is said to be done in vain, it means that it didn't do what it was supposed to do. Right? Like the little boy saw the leak in the dike and he took his finger and he plugged it. But it was in vain because a hurricane came and washed the whole dike away. It was in vain what he did. So a vanity is something that is empty. So an empty vanity is doubly empty. Doubly pointless. Doubly useless. What are the empty vanities that we can regard? And I love, you know, regard empty vanities. It's not like bowed down before idols. I hate those who bow down before idols, who, graven images. I hate those who regard empty vanities. Much of what passes for news is simply empty vanity. Right? And that's not to mention entertainment. Entertainment. Full of empty vanity, right? All of the gossip that surrounds entertainment and who's important and who's not important, right? Empty vanity. All of who is winning and who is not winning. Who got a gold and who got a silver. That's vanity. I mean, can you imagine anything that matters less? Hard to think of anything that matters less because it's empty vanity, right? Who has more golds? The USA or Japan or China or who cares? It's empty vanity. 
Are the Bengals going to win this season? No. I see it out there. No. Does it matter? It doesn't matter. And so all of you are like, right, we all know it doesn't matter. We gave up on being Bengals fans a long time ago. Now we are, what? Regarding some other empty vanity? Now, my point is not to say that there can't be any such thing as entertainment, and that's all the news is, right? My point is to say, what are you regarding? What are you regarding? What do you care about? For some of you, you care about who got a nicer car. For some of you, you care about what your face looks like. That's the definition of vanity, right? Regarding empty vanities can mean looking in the mirror. and being concerned about what you look like. David rejects all of this. David says, I, I hate those who regard empty vanities. Because why? Well, because to give your regard to something that is meaningless and empty is to make an idol of it. This is why the translators help us out. choice is whether we are going to regard vain idols or whether we are going to regard God. What are the empty vanities that are tempting to you, that you are inclined to make important, that you are thinking matter? that you are inclined to fear, that you are inclined to worship, that you are inclined to praise, the things that you couldn't live without. Right there, David, David lays out all the things that he's lost, right? He's lost the regard of everybody. He's lost having friends. His neighbors, his acquaintances don't want anything to do with him. It's clear his life is on the line. And what does he say? He says... Into your hands I commit my spirit. He commits his spirit into God's hands. And what has God done? Here he is. He's facing being canceled. 
He's facing everything that he thought he could regard, thought that he could put his trust in, taken away, right? He says, no, my trust isn't in any of those things. My trust is in God. And how does God deal with a suffering sinner? The contrast is beautiful. You see how all of the wicked men treat David, the suffering sinner. And how does God treat him? God has ransomed him. God has paid the price for his freedom. God has set his feet in a large place. God is his salvation. God has ransomed him. He has made marvelous his loving kindness to me in a besieged city. If there's one place you don't want to be, it's in a besieged city where water and food are slowly running out. In the worst place you can possibly be, what has God done? He has made his loving kindness to me in a besieged city. Verse 22, as I said in my alarm, I am cut off from before your eyes. David's to the point where he's thinking, God can't even see me. Nevertheless, you heard the voice of my supplications when I cried to you. Could God see him? God could see him. Though nobody else would look at him, God was looking at him. Though he couldn't even see God, God was listening. Was it, was it God's eyes who couldn't see? No. It was his eyes who couldn't see. He is a shelter. He listens. He preserves the faithful through this life and into the next. That's one of the things that it, you can't... You might, it might take a, a couple of times reading through this, but one of the things that you see in this psalm is just the way that David brings... God's care for him in this life and in the next to bear. It's not the guarantee from God that David won't die. Remember what Paul said? You know, David's dead. David's dead. He commits his spirit into God's hands. Why? Well, because by committing his spirit into God's hands, he says, whether I live or I die, whether my body decays or whether it grows strong again, my spirit belongs to you. No matter what happens to me, I'm yours. That's what it means to commit your spirit unto the Lord. And so if he preserves the faithful through this life, even through this death into the next, then what? Then be strong and let your heart take courage. 
Because it doesn't matter whether next week you get canceled. It doesn't matter whether next decade your children get canceled. It doesn't matter whether they're coming for you or not. You are to be strong and courageous. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Who? All you who hope in the Lord. All you who hope in the Lord. So do you fear what might happen to you? Do you fear what might happen to your children, your husband, your wife? If your hope is in the Lord, you can be certain that he will be there for you. You can be certain. And that is how we are able to be strong and let our heart take courage. That is how David is able to be strong and take courage in the midst of awful torment, in the midst of everybody hating him, in the midst of everybody turning aside from him. Why? Because he's committed his spirit unto the Lord, because he takes refuge in him. Take refuge in him. If you trust in the Lord, you have nothing to fear. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, give us strength. Give us courage. For we are weak apart from you. Father, help us because we are helpless apart from you. Forgive us and make us righteous because we are sinners apart from you. Turn our eyes to you, Father, because apart from you we regard vain idols. Father, save us. Let us not be put to shame. Let our hope be in you and let it not be ever a doubt that you are God and you will save your people. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.